Assalamu alaikum and welcome to MaxCast. This is your host, Sayyid Raza, here in Toronto. And today on the podcast, we have Goldie Heather. Goldie is the president and CEO of the Business Council of Canada, which represents the chief executives and heads of 150 leading Canadian businesses, employing 1.7 million Canadians and composed of every major industry across the country. Mr. Heather previously was the president and CEO of Hill Milton Strategies. He also served as the director of policy and chief of staff to the right and honorable Joe Clark former Prime Minister, and former leader of the Federal Progressive Conservative Party. In 2013, Mr. Heather received the Queen Diamond Jubilee Medal in recognition of his contributions. Without any further ado, Assalamu alaikum, Goldie. Thank you for having me, and Assalamu alaikum to you and everybody else who's listening. No, wonderful. And I, I've, I've got a little bit jump on this. I've been listening to you for a very long time. I know there's many different places to start. The, the part that made me the most passionate to learn about your story was your family, your upbringing. I wanted to go ahead and start off there. Can you tell us a little bit more about your upbringing and the key points in that, what values and what philosophies and where did they come from? Well, it's really you know, not that unique of a story for I'm sure for, for many of the listeners and for people who immigrated here to Canada in the 60s, 70s, 80s, we came in 74 there were you know people who came in the 60s but really the 70s and 80s is when the sort of the the surge of Trudeau seniors immigration policy uh, took place and you know like I said our story is very similar I mean, to I think a lot of people they came with very little in their pocket they uh, faced the same challenges in terms of watching their parents you know go through the foreign skills accreditation issues trying to find employment um, you know, wanting to save up money to, uh, to, to eventually buy a, you know, buy a property or, you, you know, you watch your parents work two, three, four jobs. Um, you know, I was uh, seven when I came here and my brother was three and I look back and, and I think, God, there's lots of things I did as pretty much taking care of my brother, which, you know, we don't even trust our kids a 20 year old to do today. It seems like, so you grew up really quickly, I, I think mm -hmm. back then. Um, and I think that, that uh, you know, there was a certain sense of we, we you know, we, we knew we were, we were different, right? We knew we had come from somewhere else. Um, you, you, felt, you felt really good about Canada, but you weren't really sure as to how this is all going to unfold. And I, and I think that it's rare where I hear of people's stories being a straight line. There's a lot of, there's a roller coaster ride to this, and there's an adversity element to this, and there's a perseverance element uh, to this, I, you know, like everybody else, I think back then experienced racism, you know, and you, 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 you had to kind of, um, uh, you learned a lot about yourself, you learned a lot about your community, you learned a lot about your family, you learned a lot about your country, but, but mostly a lot about yourself, right? And I think that, that the, uh, in, in many ways, the, the, the beginning is so critical to the end, if you will, right? Because if you get the beginning wrong, like a book if the book is boring at the beginning nobody reads to the end right same thing i think here if you if you went if you didn't realize the, some of the things that you would have to go through and had the uh, perseverance to, to go through it your parents yourself you know and others i'm not sure the movie turned out as, as well as it did and let's face it the movie turned out really well for a lot of us and and, and i think much of that has to do with perseverance definitely definitely uh, it's how much of that came from having a family business as a young person, how involved were you with that? And a lot of immigrants, myself included, my parents had a perfume business growing up in Texas, so business was always good, you can imagine. 
Well, it uh, certainly smells good, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, with that said, if you want to have a perfume business, Texas is the place because it'll be high in demand. How, what lessons can somebody learn from being in a family business? I understand you were in that situation. So talk, tell us yeah, about that. No, and you're right. There's a lot of people who have, who have gone through that, some of whom have gone on to do some amazing things and grow their business and make it very global and, and all of that. Um, I think the, like, if I think back to it, I would say, you know, uh, values was probably the most important lesson learned, right? That to see your personal values and the upbringing that you're receiving from your family as, you know, from, as your parents, being applied in the business where, you know, they're the boss and seeing that, that who they offered themselves up as to, to you at home is the same people they were at work. Because a lot of people don't know what, what their parents are like at work. You know, you just kind of you assume. I got to see it because there was no real separation between, um, you know, the work, family life and, and work life. I mean, we literally had board meetings every day. We had, you know, we were talking business in the car. We were talking business on the vacation. We were always learning about business. But the, the values piece is what sticks out to me is I got to learn a lot about, you know, my parents and to see them not just as my parents, but to see them as, um, you know, people trying to build a business and, and all the effort that went into that and the challenges that they faced and the adversity and the perseverance, but also the success that they enjoyed because they worked for it and they worked hard for it. And by, I suspect that there's an old saying, an old colleague of mine in my last job used to say, show, don't tell, you know? And I think that what my parents got a chance to do was to show rather than say, Beta, this is how you have to be. I got to see it. And if they, if they were inconsistent with how they were trying to raise me as a son versus how I watched them as business leaders, I'm not sure I would have had the same level of respect. So I give them full marks for not having to create a scenario where, you know, who they were at home was different than who they were at work. They were able to carry it through. And because their values were founded in, in, in just decency and in, in, in human humanity and, and uh, you know, lead by example and tell the truth and work hard and all of those basic, basic core values, uh, I, I got to see that. And I, and I think in many ways by osmosis almost, it influenced who I became and who I wanted to be. And as I look back, I think those were foundational and formative period of my life. Mm. No, mashallah, thank you for giving such a complete answer to that. It did that immediately you knew that, hey, from this working with the fam, uh, in a family business, I wanna go into public policy and entrepreneurship. Like how did this career arc kind of take place? <laughs> I know it's a big question, but I'd love to kind of know like what were the first few steps and how did, how did, kind yeah. of, how did you get into public policy? Well, look, uh, my father was a journalist, actually, in India, a rather successful one. And um, so, you know, talking politics uh, at the dinner table came, uh, came naturally. I, I don't remember a lot of the time in India. I was only seven when we came, but obviously that was a big part of his life when we were there. Uh, when he came here, even though he didn't stay in journalism, partly for those foreign accreditation reasons and all that that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, politics was in our blood and, and, we, and, and, and we talked a lot about it. Certainly dad and I talked a lot about it, maybe a little less so than my mom and my, my, my brother might have wanted to hear us go at it. But um, it was um, early that I realized that okay, that's a passion of mine. I didn't necessarily think it was going to lead I didn't know what it was going to lead to. It was just an interest of mine. But so too were sports, right? I mean, I would probably dreamt more about, you know, playing center on the Calgary Flames than I did about going into public life. And that was when I didn't even skate. So uh, I, I think that um, um, as is the case for many people, again, uh, if there's a theme that's going to quickly emerge in this podcast is life's not a straight line. 
you, you don't just get to say, this is where I'm going and boom, I'm going to be there. And, you know, just going to go systematically all the way through. Um, you're going to experience uh, curveballs coming at you. Uh, you know, um, there, was, there were, in hindsight, seminal moments in my life where I made some decisions that changed the trajectory of my, of my career significantly. You know, I never, to be honest, I never wanted to be in the family business. Um, it's not something my parents wanted to hear very much, but it was kind of like, well, that's what mom and dad did. They built it and all that. And I, I didn't really feel the same level of passion for it. Now, luckily, my brother always wanted to do that. He was always business savvy, very marketing oriented and, and just a really good customer service guy. And so I knew that there was insurance in the insurance in business that my brother was going <laughs> to step in worst case scenario. Um, and I but I yet I, I, you know, I worked there for five years and I and I say very clearly now. It's, I'm so grateful for that because, um, you know, it was my real life MBA. You know, the first thing my dad said to me in the office when I started there uh, was, you're not my son in the office. And it kind of hurt me when he said that. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, you know, history shows that second generation screws up the business nine out of 10 times. And so I'm not going to do any favors for you here. You want to work here, you got to earn it. And, and he specifically said to me, he said, it might be our family business, but we work for this entity. It was called Link Insurance. We work for Link. You have to prove your merit to it, right? So don't get away with the fact that, that I'm your dad. And I said, can I call you dad in the office? He said, yeah, you can call me dad, but that's not going to get you any favors. If you don't earn your keep around here, you won't be here because we work and we have to be accountable to the entity. So it was a very early lesson uh, mm -hmm. in the importance of, um, you know, like earning your way through, not getting a free ride, not getting a free pass. And you know, and I know there are a lot of people who've been able to feed off that because daddy had it good or mommy had it good or whatever the case might be. I knew very early that the lesson was you got to, you got to earn it. And, and having said that, you know, I mean, I had experienced failures in my life as well. So it came together very quickly that this is, was not going to be a straight line up. Awesome. Now, a failure is something we're normally always running away from, even culturally. I remember getting B's and being so scared to even show that to my mom or dad. What is a, a failure that you're kind of proud of? Like, yeah, that was a failure. I may not be proud of the failure, but I learned so much that I'm really glad I had that yeah. failure. Well, I always uh, think of one specific thing because it really sticks out at me. At the, it's a feeling that I can capture even today, 40 years later. And I thought, I remember when it happened, it was, I was, I was hired as a, in a summer youth program to uh, create, to run a conference, right? So, you know, I did all the things that you're supposed to do to run a conference pretty much, you know, I put out some pamphlets, put up some posters, did a radio interview and stuff. And, um, you know, when the event happened, the conference was a bust. Like, like, you know, we set up like 150 chairs and like maybe 25, 30 people showed up. And I was like, I just remember that feeling of humiliation and embarrassment and like, like, and, and it was also uh, a very early failure, like grade 12 or whatever it was. But it was like, I had had a pretty good life up till then. I really experienced success for the most part. You know, an office that I ran for like a junior high school, I won, or I was the captain of the team and, you know, an MVP of a team. You're like, okay, life's good. Like I can't screw up. And then something happens where you realize, actually, you're just a human being. And you screwed up. And I looked and I knew, and I knew right away, did I do everything that I could have? Not really, because I hadn't experienced failure. So I thought, why would I experience it now? Everything I do touches, you know, turns to gold. Turns out not. 
And I always remember the feeling more than anything else, you know, and, and the lesson learned, which is nothing is a guarantee. You got to work for everything and then some, right? Uh, and I just thought I never want to experience that again. I just never want to feel that I never gave it, you know, the proverbial 101% or 110% if there's such a thing. Uh, so that at least if you failed, you could say, I gave it all I got. But when you fail and you didn't give it all you got, you kind of think, well, you have nobody to blame but yourself. No, excellent, excellent. Thank you. Um, I, I can I can see just by looking at your everything that you've done, your experiences. You've done many different things. How does a person stay curious and try different things constantly and not feel like, okay, you know what? I know what I'm doing now, and this is what where my bread and butter is. Yeah, it's the uh, it's, you know, it's, situation. The, it's the number one trait of uh, successful leaders I have found. Just yesterday, I was watching. Um, the, I think it's called Inside Bill Gates's Brain on Netflix with my eldest mm -hmm. daughter and we were watching it all and they were showing his, you know, bookcase behind him and how he read every book there was and every subject and all of that. And he was asked, like, what makes you do that? And he said, curiosity. Right. And I thought to myself, man, I wish I had more curiosity because I, I, I know I could have more, you know, and I, and I think that 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 sense of trying things, I'm still pretty in that regard, you know, small C conservative. I didn't want to take too many risks and so forth. But, but the biggest risk I ever took in hindsight allows me to have this conversation with you today and the role that I'm in with the, you know, with the, uh, with the impact that I've been able to have in my career with the people that I've worked with. Uh, and that was in hindsight, something that even my wife and I say, were we crazy? <laughs> like, I mean, it was a, and by the way, that's the other lesson here. Luck plays a very important role in life. Sometimes things come to you and you don't realize that just maybe this is the moment where you're at a crossroads, that if you say yes, you go in this direction. If you say no, you go in that direction. The no might've worked out as well, by the way. I just know that the yes definitely did. And it was when Joe Clark, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, you know, um, he called me one day and said, um, look, I'm, I, I want you to send me your CV. And I, like, I'm like, I don't even have a CV. I'm at the family business and I'm, I'm running this small university college that we had uh, as a startup that I'd been involved in. And uh, I didn't even know why I was sending it, but I whipped one up and I sent it to him. And a few days later, a guy calls and he says, you know, Joe Clark is my boss. He dropped your CV on my desk and I'm to hire you. I'm like, what? <laughs> I said, I live in Calgary. I don't even know what I'm being hired for. <laughs> he even told me what the job is, <laughs> right? And I've got, as you know, as um, you know, my wife and I had just built our, our what we thought would be a dream home for a period of time, a nice pond at the back and then on a, on, you know, wildlife near you and all that. We have a five-year-old, a three-year-old and a zero, like a six-month-old. Wow. Um, we have a, you know, we had a special needs child. And so that's already important. You were with your family. You've been home in Calgary for, you know, 25 years. And I went to Ottawa to have a conversation thinking I'm being interviewed. Turned out it was more like a full court press on why I should come. That was like on like roughly February the 15th. Believe it or not, I was starting a job in Ottawa on the 29th of February. It was my first day, and I remember it because it was leap year. Not the year later, 14 days later. I just finished telling you what I'd just been through. You know, built the house, third kid, and this moment came. And, 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 and as I've often said to people I'm trying to convince to do things, what I saw in that is in life, the moment chooses you you don't get to choose it. I'm sorry, Goldie, it was inconvenient for you. I'm sorry you had to give up your home. I'm sorry that you had to move your family to a place where you knew nobody. But that moment was a crossroads moment. Like I said, it may have worked out the other way, but I know this one did for sure. And it was, in hindsight, really scary that we did what we did. 
but here we are. I can't even imagine that conversation with, with your wife, actually. And that, that's what she, she, she reminds me, we may not have had much of a conversation. <laughs> but I'm going. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's, I find it always amazing. Uh, our, our greatest stakeholders in our lives at one age are our parents. And then, you know, it's, it's the rest of our family as time goes on. How important do you find is, is the influence of those people uh, has been on you? And how important? And also, I would say, like, let's try to look at it from a, a point of uh, a lot of our youth where they don't have parents that are very supportive. Um, I'd love to kind of know about, you know, your experience with the support of your structure and what advice you would give to somebody who doesn't feel like they quite have the same support structure. That's, it's, a, it's a very good point on your part. Like I've been blessed, you know, I've got amazing parents. I've got a great relationship with my brother. Um, you know, you're right. I mean, once you get married and you've got kids, you have a different influence. I mean, um, you know, my wife and my kids uh, ground me and center me. You know, like, believe me, I am not the CEO of anything at home, <laughs> especially when you've got three daughters. But it's great because they, they don't mince words, right? Like, they'll be like, Dad, don't embarrass us today. Whatever you do, don't embarrass us. And like, every, anytime I'm ever asked to consider public life, they're like, no, 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 you got to let us have a chance to change our last name first, right? Like, I don't have anything to do with you and your political agendas and all that. So they keep you, they keep you honest, they keep you grounded, they keep you real. You know, um, I'm nothing without my family. I mean, the support I've received from my, my wife and kids, uh, they sacrificed a lot, right? I mean, I, I, I work hard, like, I, like I, I love my jobs, all my jobs, I've loved my jobs, I work hard. And um, my wife long ago figured out, she said, if you're happy at work, I know you're happy at home, so do whatever you need to do, but be happy at work, right? And so just, working hard and making sure that you're you're successful and doing the right things because in most cases the decisions I made impacted the lives of a lot of other people so for me it was not just about my family you know I remember when I became CEO at Hill and Knowlton my predecessor who's uh, one of the people I want to talk about because he was a great mentor and an influencer is um, he said to me he said you know this is not about you and your family there's 300 other people here so on average you're probably feeding three more so you're you're almost feeding a thousand people every day so every decision you make you know if you blow up the company and we're out of business it's going to impact a lot more than those people that you interact with so I put that you know on the weight of my shoulders all the time and people wondered what drove me well what drove me was that right i couldn't afford the idea that mis mistakes i might make or shortcuts i might take or decisions you know that i would get wrong um could have significant consequences now did i get them all right of course not but boy I, they were that you wanted to make sure that you did everything you could to keep them going which brings me to the other point and that is um the importance of the people that we meet along the journey uh in our life of, uh, of mentors, you know? Uh, I obviously talked about my parents, uh, you know, they were important both personally, but also because of the, the, the training that I received um, at, at my family business on just what is business, the importance of the customer, you know, uh, the work ethic that's necessary there, the integrity, you know, uh, uh, you know just the, the, my father always says, the one thing that you can't buy is a good sleep. And so, you know, your conscious, your, 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 your integrity, your ability to live life with contentment is something I learned very early from the family. But I also was very fortunate, and I can name a whole bunch of people here, but I mean, obviously starting with Joe Clark, I mean, you wanna talk about a quintessential Canadian who is decent to the core. You know, um, him and Maureen uh, McTeer, um, you know, both gave me a tremendous opportunity. 
And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about Canada. Uh, I learned a lot about integrity and a person of great principle. Um, you know, we also had like, like there's, I can't say there's anybody in my life I've agreed with 100% of the time. So no, I didn't agree with everything with Mr. Clark either. But the, the fact that we could have those conversations and agree to disagree was, was very important. And to know that, that we had each other's back. Um, probably one of the most influential people in my life, though, was the, uh, the CEO at Hill & Knowlton. Uh, who was there uh, before me. I mean, he, he brought me over there. Uh, he saw in me things that I didn't see in me. He saw them very early. Uh, he invested personal time. Uh, and he was, um, like I, I jokingly say, like a second, you know, second father, because he would, he would set me straight in ways in which that, that, that I think only your dad could have done, right? I mean, he would call you out for your BS. He would call you out if you let him down. He would call you out if he saw that you took shortcuts. And he would constantly remind you about values, 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 you know, teamwork, you know, uh, just, just the, 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 the need for hard work, the need to believe that you have never reached your destiny. You can always do better. You can always work harder. That notion of constant improvement. And I was uh, very fortunate to work with a variety of people in that, in that organization who really taught me a lot of things um, about, about um, how to build, a, how to be a leader. To be honest with you, you know, uh, another person who actually was just called out because she, you saw that there was a woman a general manager hired in the floor in, uh, in uh, I think it was in Tampa Bay or something in the baseball uh, just this weekend. But we were here in Ottawa, we had a general manager for the then Ottawa Rough Riders who was a woman. And she happened to be my colleague uh, and still a friend to this day. Uh, she had always said the sign of a real leader is you never, uh, never ask somebody to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. And it reminded me right away of my, my bringing, upbringing in my family business. You know, my dad would always look at the garbage and say, who are you waiting to take that out? Like, it's just us here. So one of us is going to need to take that out. And that, that sense of equality with your staff to treat people, not with their titles, but as colleagues. So I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot from them. Uh, now I must say I am spoiled rotten. I mean, I pinch myself every day when I have an opportunity to interact with the people that I you know, represent here, here in Ottawa, my members, uh, the members of the Business Council of Canada, CEOs, very diverse, very eclectic, um, all kinds of you know, learnings, uh, lessons that you can learn. I have a podcast myself called Speaking of Business. Uh, I invite your listeners to tune in and just hear their stories because they're not all, again, they're not, I was born, I went to Harvard, got an MBA and I became a bank CEO. Like that's not their stories. Uh, and so I think we all have to take the time to realize that um, we can learn from a lot of different places, people that are younger than you, people that your family, people that are your bosses. Learning never stops. It never ceases to amaze me how much you can learn. I learned a lot from sports, to be honest with you, about how to run a business even. Hmm. Give me an example of that. I wasn't expecting you to say that. Give me a, a little bit. Well, of I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge uh, New England Patriots fan. So mm. uh, th th there's only two kinds of fans in NFL. There's Patriots fans, everybody who hates the Patriots. So <laughs> I probably lost half the audience right now. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, my colleagues will tell you, uh, they're, uh, you know, Bill Belichick's you know, obviously one of the greatest coaches of all time. And, and, and on the door uh, of the New England Patriots, when you're leaving the locker room, it has one saying do your job. I do your job. And so I would always be using that as an example when people were starting to try to do everything else but their own job. And I would say it's, you know, business is like sports, you know, for a running back to, to successfully break through the front line and get, you know, 10 yards or whatever, or for a goal scorer to do certain things. It's a team effort. 
somebody doesn't make that block, you don't get the yardage. Somebody doesn't go into the corner to get you the puck, you don't get the goal. So respect the team. Respect the role that each of you play. Don't think you're the superstar because you're the quarterback or you're the CEO. You're just one member of a team and your success is completely reliant on everybody else's ability to do their job. Great analogy. I mean, it's probably not going to work out for the Patriots so much this year from what hey, I can tell. Six Super Bowls. Cut me some slack. <laughs> we should have I know, had I know. more. We should have oh, had sorry. two more if it wasn't for Eli. <laughs> sports, are, sports are fickle. No, I agree. Uh, one thing I, I did want to ask you more about. Now, I'm from Texas. I'll say this. Coming from Texas to Canada was a breath of fresh air for me. I came from a place where the Whole Food tried to sell halal chicken, and there were protests. They weren't, even in areas without that many Muslims, there was protests of, of our community wasn't as well integrated into the government or the economy of Texas. And coming up here, I felt like not only were we visible, but we were active. We were contributing. Um, there were people who were already here that I found were able to even mentor me through multiple, even from stand-up comedy to business, what have you. How important is it for us to be involved in the communities that we are right now living in and entrenched in? Give us an idea, because unlike me, you grew up in Canada. I, I moved here from Houston when I was about 24, and I moved to Houston when I was nine. But in your experience, how important is it for us to be involved in, in our government or, or in our business or in our community? It's a great question because, uh, as you pointed out, you know, in our culture, it's kind of like, you know, if you're not a doctor or a lawyer, maybe an engineer, <laughs> you know, everybody else is an abject failure, right? So uh, to explain to people that you're in public policy, they're like, well, like what, what is that? What do you do? You know, what does that mean? Are you for the government? Do you work for? So it's, it's, it's tricky to explain it all. But I often use the example of the, uh, uh, of the Ismaili community in, uh, when they were in Uganda. Right. And, and if you look at the lessons of that, they basically were business and, or, you know, business oriented and they were you know, living in the community. Um, they, they, they weren't able to participate in public life or in political life. They, they were, you know, um, in, in, in many ways uh, became scapegoats for the, 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 you know, the Idi Amin at that time. And one night, go out, leave, get out, take your stuff and get out. And I, and I often say to people here, I said, you know, I, I, like I love Canada and I don't think Canada would ever do that. But if you look at our history, it's actually not a pure history, right? Um, starting with the ongoing treatment of indigenous communities to this day, uh, the fact that we interned the Japanese, um, the fact that we turned around a boatload of Jewish people or a boatload of Sikhs, uh, that we had head tax on the Chinese. We're only 150 years old, but our history has had its failures where we, where we didn't meet the test of, being a uh, you know a truly uh, multicultural society and stuff. Now we've come a long ways since then, but I always say if you don't remember your history, you're doomed to you know you're doomed to repeat it, right? So I think it's important that people realize that our involvement uh, in uh, you know public life uh, in our communities is is existential to some extent. It is critical to our ability to to um, firm up the deal that we have with Canada, right? And the deal is we're a multicultural, secular society. Um, heaven on earth, let's, let's be clear, like there's no other country in the world that I'd rather call home than, than Canada. But my message is it's an experiment, right? It's the almighty's experiment that says, what if I took the second largest landmass in the world 
And even though there's a whole bunch of indigenous people there, I'm going to start like, like letting a whole bunch of other people come there. They're going to be from different cultures, different races. And eventually I'm going to give them all like special rights. And, you know, like they're going to have a charter of rights and freedoms and they're going to have a bill of rights. And, you know, we're going to sprinkle them and we're going to put them right next to the United States, which is a different approach to this, you know, in terms of a melting pot versus a uh, sort of a mosaic, uh, mosaic model. And, and I feel like if the world was a laboratory, Canada's an experience, you're just, uh, if you keep adding elements to the Canadian jar, is there a risk that it combusts? Is there a risk that you go too far and people go, you know what? No, that's enough. I've had enough. I want them out. I want to go back to what was. And I always say that we shouldn't be so naive and immune to believe that, that we're so special, that the forces we're seeing in the world that are taking place as close as the United States of America, but in many other countries around the world, of, of protectionism and racism and bigotry and, 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 and real, um, you know, urban rural divide, all of these things. We're not so amazing that that can't happen here. So you got to work at it. In Canada, you know, as a democracy, the best way is your vote, right? So participation in democracy, I always like giving a shout out to the Canadian Muslim vote because I think they've consciously gone out and made it a point to say voting is an essential service <laughs> as, a, as a Canadian that you need to practice, even though it's not mandatory, believe, believe that it is, because people in your home countries might be giving their life fighting for that privilege, right? 100%, no, alhamdulillah. Um, my mother gave me a very similar talk two years ago when I tried to sit her down and say like, have you voted? She told me the history of Pakistan at times where she couldn't vote because she was a woman. And she gave me so much of what you just said, and it comes with a lot of wisdom. And I really appreciate that. Um, I wanted to, I know this is a max platform that we're on. So like, obviously we want to thank you for being on. You were a keynote speaker in 2017. You flew in from Montreal for another keynote speech for event launch, and you're here today. Why are you so involved and make it a focus to work with these youth organizations? And, and what advice would you have for somebody who is young, maybe, college age or a little bit younger in terms of how to look at the future and how to be optimistic because today, you know, you turn on the news, you put on social media and it almost feeds you exactly what would slow you down. So what advice would you have for these people and why are you so involved? Um, well, first of all, let's acknowledge, you know, Azar and the great work that the team, I mean, it's remarkable to see what has transpired in an organized, and I know firsthand how hard it is to do what, what you're all doing. And so my hat's off to, the entire army of volunteers, because in many cases, it's pretty much being driven by volunteers. So the level of organization, the level of discipline, the level of execution, in terms of the ambition that they have, and to be able to measure it. My, I said to Azur the other day, I said, the best is yet to come, my friend, this is you're just getting started. And I know he feels that way as well. So I am, it's my honor, it's my privilege to be able to have a chance to participate, um, you know, wherever it is that I can, I can, uh, I can, I can do so. And I've been, I've been privileged to do many times, as you said. Um, first of all, um, I do this in part because uh, it's a pay it forward moment. A lot of people did a lot of things to help me through my life. And I can't, you know, and I have really little ways to repay them, except don't screw up and do a good job and all of that. But to me, the best way I can honor the time and the investment, and by the way, there were they were of all faiths. This is not just for Muslims. Like people of all faith that did that, who just want to have a better society, who want to work hard to realize the full promise of Canada, the greatness of this country. Uh, I feel that I owe it to them to do that. Secondly, um, I look at the the next gen, and you know I've got three daughters. They're all twenty plus, and 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 there's a part of me that says you guys are really lucky. 
right? Like you're inheriting a platform just ready-made to launch yourself in ways in which I never had that chance, right? And I know the people before me didn't have that. I mean, when we say we had to work for every square inch of it, we worked for every square inch of it. You guys, let's be honest, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good platform from where you're starting, right? If we were in the basement, you're not in the penthouse, but you're also not on the, on the main floor, right? Like you've, you've ridden the elevator up several floors and you've got a great thing. I got to tell you, um, what amazes me, uh, and I mean this as sincerely as I can, in almost every walk of life I come across now, so whether that's in government, uh, whether that's in academia, uh, whether that's in business, whether that's in sports, the success that the Muslim community is enjoying and, and minority communities are enjoying is a real testament to them and their hard work, but it's also a testament to Canada right? That you, it gave you that chance and you're able to seize it and fulfill it. What advice would you have, Goldie? Well, look, let me say three or four things very quickly. Um, first of all, and I've been implying it all the way through is do not have your life mapped out. You know, I keep hearing even from my own kids, oh, I don't know what my life's all about. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm do. You know what? It doesn't matter, right? Do not have your life all mapped out. It is not a straight line. Live, my wife likes to say this, live the moment, see what's available, see what the opportunities are, do some things, right? So that's point one. Secondly, take risks, take risks, step out of your comfort zone, you know, stretch, reach, uh, try some things. It's, it's not the end of the world if you don't, if you don't uh, succeed in that, but you'll probably learn a lot. Because as I said, if there's a common theme in all the leaders I've talked to, they applied that the, the lessons they learned the most in life from were failures. You know, listen to the podcast, you'll hear all kinds of people talk about their failures. And you would think, how did that person go on to recover from that failure? And the answer is you do and you actually learn, uh, learn much more. It's the old saying, you got to learn to lose before you learn how to win. The third thing I would say, especially for all of you, is you, you, no matter what you do today, you're going to have like double digits of careers. You are not going to do one thing or two things. Even if you're a doctor, you're probably not going to do one thing or two things for the rest of your life. There's just too much advancement that lies ahead. It's going to be so much technological innovation. There are going to be so many new opportunities. You know, people are saying, right? Like, I think it was like, I can't remember the exact stats, so don't quote me, but something like 40% of the jobs that are going to be there in 10 years from now don't exist today. So just don't uh, you know, think that I have a career track. Everybody talks like that. What am I going to be when I grow up? You know what? Why don't you just get on the path and see where it goes? So expect that you will have many, many careers. And then the last one is, and, and I, I can't stress this enough, there's too many people who look at education as I did that and then it's over. Uh, if ever you know, there's an important message in here, it's the lesson of lifelong learning applies in this era more than ever. You are constantly getting uh, educated and re-educated. Uh, I remember listening to uh, our former Bank of Canada Governor Mark Carney at a conference a couple of years ago at the Public Policy Forum, and he had said, you know, think about it. The way the system was set up is you go to school, let's say, till you're 25. And then whatever you've learned is supposed to apply for 50 years or maybe 40 years of your life. You're going to be 65 when you retire. Uh, well, that doesn't work anymore. Now you've got to up, upgrade, reskill, and rapid reskill yourself. No one's asking you to go back to school. He had even suggested, what if we said to people, go back to school at 50 for a year or two, get yourself rebooted for the next 15 years of your life. I'm not sure that has to happen, but we, we are going to get a lot of opportunities to reskill ourselves. Uh, take advantage of that because education, uh, the learning never stops. Mm, yeah. And I want to thank you, number one, for broaching this subject, because when it comes to talk about complex issues, 
It's always a tough thing to do in a 30 to 45 minute segment. I'm lucky enough that I, I follow your podcast, but where can people hear more of you and understand more of your thoughts? Where would they go? <laughs> well, um, the podcast would be a great place. Uh, speaking of business, it's actually speaking of biz with a Z uh, dot CA. I interview CEOs from uh, all across uh, the country. I've also had from time to time some special guests. And one time the role was reversed where uh, Catherine Clark ironically uh, did a podcast of uh, sort of me and my story. So if, you, if this didn't bore you enough and you're having trouble sleeping one night, then I guess you can listen to that and, and, and lull yourself to sleep. Uh, obviously on our website at thebusinesscouncil.ca, we uh, put up very clearly all of the places where not just myself, but my colleagues and others are talking uh, about the public policy issues that I think should be important to people listening, right? I mean, the, our, 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 our economy, our fiscal situation, our infrastructure policies, our social policies, our climate change agenda, all of these things we, we talk about. I'm obviously doing a lot of interviews in the print media and television media. So do, uh, do tune in, do drop us a line and, and you know, challenge us, please. I mean, we get better when people say, did you think of this and did you think of that? I'd love to hear from you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for MaxCast. Today, we'd had Goldie Heather, President and CEO of Business Council of Canada. Thank you so much, Goldie. Thank you for having me. You said you were a comedian. You didn't crack a lot of jokes. Now I have to go listen to your podcast now. <laughs> oh, yeah. It would be uh, a lot more beep outs, let's say. But next time when we have a quarantine that is open, I would love to kind of invite you to Yuck Yucks or Absolute Comedy. Love to. Love you do to. comedy the way it should be done. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks again for having me. Be safe, everybody.